Cal and KO brought to you by Anchor. Happy Monday. We appreciate you for finding us. We're excited to bring you the show that we have. Over the weekend, Veterans Day weekend, we were able to sit down and have very good conversation with four men that have served our country and a wife of a military vet. And uh, this really was more about the vets taking over the show than it was about Cal and KO. And that's probably why it was our best show to date. It's very long. We got to sit down and these we appreciate these four gentlemen for giving giving us their story and um, just opening up in ways that um, what they said, they, they're not really comfortable doing that. And we appreciate them for doing that for us. It's like I said, it's long. We're going to give this to you in three breaks and we'll still get some sports talk in in a little bit. But this is really about the veterans and the takeover. And we appreciate you for checking this out. And let's get right into the names. Oh, and I, I guess I should apologize in advance. Some of the sound quality might be bad. We were out and about having beverages, hanging out, chilling. Uh, so and Kasim has this habit where he just doesn't want to stay on the mic all the time. But you'll notice that. Shade shots fired. Boom, boom. Galen Perry, specialist, United States Army. I'm uh, Eric Catlin, Sergeant, United States Army. <laughs> man, he made that shit sound way too formal, man. Like, why did you do that? You know, you've known these dudes since free lunch. You know, you're making it sound like you're interviewing them. Like, my job, man. That's the key. The key point is, I know them. I want people in America, everybody listening, to know them, and you get that respect, that full respect first, and then you get the bridge. All right, man. That's hey, right. That's what you know. Right. Yeah. We're already on TV, so they can't see me. <laughs> All right, let's get it going then. Well, we, we talked earlier about uh, exit strategy for, uh, for the military. You know, uh, there's a lot of holes that are involved with that. What is something that uh, a major break we have about the VA and how they uh, help support the transition from being active to non-active? Uh, my biggest thing is that there's not really, uh, there's only certain spots where they have big VA hospitals that can take care of everything. Like me, I live in uh, Salinas, California. Closest place I can go to for a big hospital, I gotta go all the way to Palo Alto, hour and a half away, in order to get any like full-on medical help. Um, other than that, I can go to Monterey, get some like basic bullshit-ass counseling, sit down in some group, whatever. Other than that, nothing. Got to travel. Uh, the availability of what you need is just far away to get it. Inconvenience. Okay. Got to take off work. I need the money. Oh, wow, yeah. You know what I mean? got to take off work, drive an hour and a half, take a little day off, hour and a half there, hour and a half back, sit there for four hours. Wow. So that's an all-day event just to get something that's like real basic. You can get done if they had it close by. It'd be easier. Yep. Man, that's crazy. What about you, Eric? I mean, just to piggyback off him, yeah. You know, uh, the travel. The travel is definitely, you know, a big thing. There's not a lot of VA hospitals, VA locations really close to you. And it's really, it's really, it's really uh, tedious. And then on top of that, trying to get you know uh, appointments, that's that's wow. insane in itself. And I'm a young vet, you know what I'm saying. So I'm just really getting into dealing with the VA. Whereas like I see a lot of older people dealing with it. Yeah. And it's really hard on them. And some of them don't have rides. You know, I mean, they do provide those services. I'm not saying that they don't, but I think they can make it a little more convenient. For, you know, the Vietnam vets, you know, stuff like that. 
and it's it's hard on them, you know, because a lot of them don't have cars. What, what are the, what, what are the, the the major benefits that just like pop out right right when you get out? What's something that, that readily helps you transition into like your next phase of your life? Is it like do they give you like stipends, like uh, severance pay, uh, help with housing, um, anything kind of like grants, loans, like uh, education for jobs, like job training? Like do, is there anything available like they that? They do ASAP while you're in. Before what, you what, get what out. What is ASAP? Not ASAP. Uh, what is it called? Uh, the last thing you do when we transition out. ACAP. ACAP. Yeah. Which is basically. They try to teach you how to write resumes, but yeah. doesn't really help you out much. That's their thing. They make you go to all these little classes, in which we only do them. We're still having to go to work every day, so we're still dealing with our first sergeants. We're still dealing with our teams. We're still dealing with doing everything we need to do. Yeah. Um, but we're going to these little classes, but we're trying to get through these classes so we can get back to our unit because we're still technically, we have to do it almost a year out. Okay. So we're a year out. You're telling me all this stuff but then when it's over I still got another eight months left in the army I'm not going to remember what you told me oh, nine okay. months ago yeah. about writing a resume so well, the timing's off the timing's way they're off. just doing it just to cover their asses they're doing it to cover it saying that they, they gave us an exit plan exit strategy an exit strategy and yeah. then you still got nine months left well, wow okay so there's no continued education after you get out. Like, okay, now you're out. You, you have get a this pat on grant the back, to... You get a pat on the back and a kick in the ass and have fun. Yeah. You're out. Yeah. Bye. I mean, Unless I mean, you're collecting you, benefits. My bad. Not to pick, not to jump on you, but, I mean, they actually, you know I mean? You get your, your, your GI Bill. Yeah. You know I mean? You serve your term. You get your GI Bill. So, obviously, you can continue learning. Yeah. But, um... Level's good. But for, you know I mean, for some of the younger guys, like, I was older when I went in. And some of these guys that just went in when they were 18... They don't know, like, that, that four years, they still have someone to take care of them, which is the military, you know? So when they're done, 18, so that's 22? 19, yeah, 22. So, you know, they don't know how to really transition back into the normal life. Yeah. So they don't know how to, you know, go to college and, you know, apply for, you know, student loans and other, you know, Pell Grants, other things that they can actually use. You know, it's not, like, really... Put in front of them so they can understand how to get to it. It's like you gotta like look through. It's like a needle in a haystack trying to figure out how you're trying to get to a certain spot, but you don't know how to get there. You know? Yeah. So it's really it's really difficult because if you don't know what you're doing, you're lost. So it's like I gotta call this hotline, call this number. Yeah. You know what I mean? When I think that there should be guidance counselors for guys that get out of the military to help them and guide them so they can be successful in the civilian world. Uh, that I, makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I have a, I have a buddy, uh, Sean Stokes, who's going to be here in a minute to join us. Uh, he's a retired Navy SEAL. For the Navy, uh, Navy SEAL program, they have access to any Ivy League school in the country. Whatever they choose, they get automatically accepted into that school to continue education. So is it... Why, why is the difference between them being able to have that and everybody else in military? The reason they get that, one, they're special for they're a special force of the United States military. They are the best of the best, the top of the top. Uh-huh. Nobody's better. So the reason they get that is because of what they do for our country. They report directly to the president. Okay. So there ain't nobody better than them. So at the end of the day, they're doing things that technically we shouldn't be doing. <laughs> or shouldn't be, or shouldn't be at, or whatever. So they're doing, they're doing some dirt. They're doing yeah. the dirt. So at the end of the day, you got to reward the guy doing your dirty work. So yeah, the, reward, I got you. the reward is, hey, you know what? You can go anywhere you want. Okay. 
So that, that yeah, makes, that's, that makes a lot of sense. That's the thing I'm tripping on is like um, you in, in the military, you learn a special set of skills in order to do a special specialty job that doesn't really transition over to civilian world. So like, even for me playing football, football is just a sport. It's entertainment. It's not really like something where like I learn skills and I can take that skills and put it somewhere else. Other than the fact that you know, good with the environment of punctuality, organization, learning, shit like that. But I mean, when you talk about a, a veteran that has these skills of working under pressure, uh, life and death situations, being responsible for other people's lives, these type of things that you put that on a resume, somebody's gonna hire you. But is it the, that they're teaching you how to transition your skills and learn what your skills are in the civilian world? Like, are you able to ver- verbalize what your skills are in the, in the civilian world as you did when you're in, a, in the um, active military? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. In the ACAP, they teach you in the resume writing how to transition your job. Yeah. Like, they teach you, like, like me, team leader, the equivalent to that is, like, a manager in the... Um, regular work field. Okay, I got so you. when I write my resume out, I don't put team lead. I put team leader down, and, and I, but I list everything I do because basically I'm in control of three guys his whole lives. Wow. Like, I take care of their finances. I take care of their housing. I make sure everything's good at the house. They get an argument with their wife. Who do they call? They call me. I go to the house. I pick up my guy. I take him to my house for the night on a cool down period. Okay. Boom, come to my house. Chill out. Take you back in the morning. You know what I mean? Like, as a team leader, you're like... You're everything for your three dudes. Like, you take care of everything from top to bottom. Their whole life, you basically got to be responsible. They go buy a car, you're right there with them, making sure they're not getting 24%. Wow. Like, you do all that as a team leader for the, in the Army. Like, that's what I do for all my soldiers. So, like, that they provide that, that they're looking out for these guys. Yeah, that's what we do. They're young guys. They're like 17, 18. They get a little bit of money. They want to go out and buy that brand new 2017 Camaro. <laughs> they get hit with 25%. You're like, yeah. nah. Yeah, it's definitely true. You're like, nah, don't do that. And then they sign the contract, and you know what I got to do? Make them drive that car back. Unsign it. <laughs> unsign it, give it back to the dealership. Be like, we're going over here and getting you a little Honda, and you'll be good. <laughs> at, at like 9%. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Sometimes that's what you have to do for your, for your guys. You just got to take care of them. So transitioning over to, uh, we talk about... Um, People that when you get back from active duty overseas, when you're coming back over here to stateside, is there a program that's set up in order to keep you reacclimate back to normal living? You know, under a stressful situation over there in, in in Afghanistan or Iraq or Somalia, wherever anybody's deployed to, when you come back from deployment, is there something available that can help you just like calm the nerves? I mean, there are there are programs, but. It's really weird because in certain jobs that you do, you know, it's um, it's frowned upon. So like like being a grunt or being somebody like that actually is on the front lines to go and seek help is like a sign of weakness. Yeah, that's a big deal. Wow. You know what I mean? Like if you like you know dealing with football, like you know being hurt, they want you to play hurt, right? Yeah, correct. That's what the same concept is. Is they want us to play hurt. Which is not a, it's not a bad thing, you know what I mean? Because we want to give all we got, but sometimes, you know, a lot of guys don't have, you know what I mean? They're 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 doing something even though they shouldn't be doing it. You know, they're playing with their whole lives, their family's lives. You know, like it's wow. it's real deep yeah. because you know what I mean you got this sprained ankle or this broken leg, 
but you don't want to let your team down, you know? You got all these guys counting on you. Yeah. So, I mean, you should obviously know that. So, um, it's hard. You know, it, it's a it's an ego trip. It's 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 very. Yeah, it's, I think it's that 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 bravado, especially with mm-hmm. men. It's like somebody yeah. like if I'm hurt, I'm injured, I'm like, nah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. You hear that time and time yeah. again from everybody. Hey man, you okay, man? You struggling with something? You mm-hmm. okay? Like you know, where, where's your head at? I'm good. I'm straight. I'm good. You just brush it off. Yeah. And then meanwhile, it's just building up. Yeah. Constantly but, inside, and it's like. You want to be able to talk about it, but men normally don't talk about anything that has exactly. to do with like any kind of pain or emotion. Brush to the side, and uh, I think for, like for for the NFL, a lot of dudes that get uh, CTE or dudes are blowing mm-hmm. their heads off or strangling themselves. Um, Army, same thing. Yeah, it's the things like if people don't know. I have a guy, um, my my guy from the MVP program up in LA. He's had 29 of his uh, teammates from his uh, unit uh, killed themselves. And he's like, then I, he's like, I tried myself twice and unsuccessful. He's like, I don't know why I keep trying because I just don't have any hope. I don't know why I don't have hope. I just don't know how to have hope. Russ is deep. Yeah. It's, it's like, they call it, what is it, CTE for football? I mean, that's like the same concept of PTSD. It's, yeah. it's, it's traumatic brain injuries. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a um, for you guys, it's um, the constant... The wear and tear on your body, your head hitting that helmet, the helmet hitting that helmet, you know, yeah. the wear and tear. But for us, it's that one rocket that blows up oh, the 20 feet from us, that concussion. And that's an automatic, like, instead of it being like 15 years, that's like one day. Yeah. Boom. And like, but you still got to keep, you got to keep it moving. Your head's, so, you your know head's ringing like, and the mission you continues. Keep it and that's and that's that's a that's a struggle in itself because you like you know what I mean like you don't get a week off when you in Afghanistan you don't get a day off you know what I mean you don't get a you don't get a holiday you know you might get a phone call you know what I'm saying you might get a, a, a Skype but you still got to go to work. What you mean by a, a Skype or a phone call? Like that's my, that's all you might get to do that day or for a month depending on what you're doing where you at. Yeah. You might not talk to your family for a month or two. Damn. Or three, or long. I mean, I'm not like special forces or longer. You know, what I mean, like a year or two. I mean, some dudes. I, I mean, longest, I'm not up there, but yeah. the longest for me was almost two months before I could <laughs> talk to Lucia because we lost all five of the guys on my bracelet. Yeah, and we're not allowed to talk to anybody until all five of their families have been notified of their deaths. All because you can't slip out and say you to somebody. Slip out, wow. You can't slip out. You can't go there. So they black out all the computers. They call it they blackout. Blackout everything. It's called combo blackout. Damn. So no phones, no computers, nothing. If you have a little mini Haji phone, which is a cell phone, they confiscate it from you. Hey, don't be listening like, to him. He's <laughs> <laughs> telling the secrets about the Haji phone over here, man. Phone, they confiscate it. Don't they listen come, to him. They confiscate it. What are those? But you can't do nothing. What are those? You're on a combo blackout. Yeah. Like straight up, combo so, blackout. So let's say, let's say, let's say there's a combo blackout and your wife is home pregnant and about to give birth. It doesn't matter. You miss? It doesn't matter. You miss it. What happens when you're deployed and somebody in your family, like immediate family, passed away? If it's immediate, like mom, dad, um, brother, sister, yeah, they'll you send can you go. Back. They'll, send, oh, they'll you back. send you back. Okay. But if you're on a mission already, after the you, mission, yeah, they'll let you know when you get back, like, and then they'll send you. They're not gonna send a helicopter. They're not gonna send a helicopter to come get, get you, you mid mission. Yeah, you're out. Yeah, yeah. And you're out. They'll wait till you come back. So if that's, then they'll, then if you, that's three days, has that, has that is that something that happens? Have you seen it happen? Witness it happen? Yeah, I've seen it happen. Yeah. Had a couple of my guys go back in the middle of the deployment. Parents yeah. passed away. 
when y'all we get into some deep stuff right now. Ask questions. <laughs> like, it's gonna get deep. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to formulate my questions, man. I, Go ahead. Like, Just I'm ask. Saying, no, you hit me it don't matter, man. I, I mean, I got, I got two, but I know that there's one. What made you get into the? What made you get into the service? Okay. And then the second one is what's it like being back, not with the benefits and all of that stuff, but being being in a bar, being in a uh, restaurant, so being mindful of the surroundings and all of that. Like, how is Adjusting to that you, kind of life. You want to go first? Want me to go? I can hit this real quick. You can hit it. I'm go. ready. Like, uh, what made me join? Honestly, what made me join is you know I was a youngster. I was like what, 23, real young. I mean, that's young. I mean, think so. So 23, and you know I got my girl pregnant, and it really, honestly, to keep it 100, percent it wasn't even about serving my country. It was about taking care of my kids. And I was like, this is the most legit thing that I can get that's going to be there all the time. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to worry about health care. I don't have to worry about, you know, financials. I don't have to worry about living. It was just about my kids at that point in time or a kid. And then it grew into more once I got into the military and I went through basic and I found that brotherhood. It grew on me like like kind of like, you know, what I mean, like a, like a rash. And it was like it went from just being a job to a to a family. It, it really became bigger than me. Okay. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It became bigger than me. And I like and I like all the people that I met, even though we're from different walks of life, they became my brothers. So it didn't matter if you was from South Carolina, North Carolina, if you was a redneck, or if you don't like white people, or you don't like Asians. Like it was it was bigger than that. It was bigger than that. We we all wear the same uniform. Common goal. Yeah, we have a common goal, and that's to to protect the United States of America. If that makes any sense. So it's not about color because I don't see color. Period. In the military, out of the military, and that's what it was for me. And then it just became, you know, I just started meeting people, and I met, you know, I met Perry, and I met a lot of people. I met a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life, and. I might not even agree with how they will live their lives, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> how they live them. But it's always been good to me. Like I, I felt like that bond. Like no matter how much you dislike the person you work with, at the end of the day, we have a common goal. <laughs> the common, the common goal is to, is to protect our country. You know what I mean? And get home to our families. And I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing better than that. Like, I don't. I don't want a medal. I don't want nothing. I don't need anything. I, and that's what I'm saying. Is like, I didn't do it for the glory. I actually did it because I wanted to support my family. But it grew into something bigger than that. And I became proud of what I was doing. If I could say that, if that makes sense. But I'm not gonna lie and say, oh, I joined the, the military to. To shoot guns, you know what I mean? Like that wasn't my goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's just a real. That's a real. I've, truth. Heard, I've heard from a lot of people that said that you know I got in because I had no directions. I just needed some type of uh, discipline for my own life, or I was going to go down the wrong alley. I've had multiple friends that have joined the military that said that. It's like they're what spurned them into getting in. What about you? I'm the same way as him. I just had my first son. I was working at Best Buy. Healthcare was trash. Wow. I was like, yo, I need to get healthcare. Army, boom, signed up. 
took off. What do you want to do? They were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I got a high score on my ASVAB and everything. And they are like, you can do anything you want in the Army. And I was like, I want to be at 11 Bravo. And they are like, why? I was like, because my grandpa was. I was like, forget it. If I'm going to be in the Army, I might as well be front line and go do something. For the people that are, are, are unfamiliar with the terms, uh, ASVAB, what is that? And then uh, 11 Bravo, what's the, uh, the, the Basically, the ASVAB is the test you take that uh, it gives you a score that tells you what jobs you qualify for. The higher the score, the more jobs you qualify. The lower the score, the less jobs you qualify yeah, for. Yeah, I'll take a, a so, okay. And then uh, 11 Bravo. 11 Bravo is an infantryman. So, that's what I chose to do. And um, like he said, like I got there, like I already knew what an infantry did. I knew everything about it. My grandfather was, my, um, my uncle on my stepdad's side was special forces for God knows how long, retired. Um, so I knew what I was getting into, but I just did it because I need to take care of my kid. Like, the health care wasn't there. Like, bills are stacking up. <laughs> it's like, this is getting out of hand. So um, I didn't do it. At first, it wasn't like, oh, rah, 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 all for the country. It was like, hey, I'm doing it for my kid. And then I got there, and like he said, dude, it just grows on you. Like, you're just like, I'm not going to lie. I talked to everybody that, even guys I was in basic training with, I still talk to to this day. Uh-huh. Like, you just, the brotherhood is just ridiculous. Like, all my team leaders, squad leaders, everybody that I've I've ever served with or under with, and all three of the units I've been in, I still talk to all of them. So more more than others, but that's what, just how it was. What about now? Uh, your second question was when they come back. Like, and when you come back, how is it going off of? Well, how long were you in? I did eight and a half years. Eight and a half years, and how many I did trips did you take? One deployment to Afghanistan, and then. Numerous deployments to other countries, training soldiers like Korea, Thailand, all over the place. You're training our soldiers over there? Or? Training like Thailand's soldiers. Also training, training their country soldiers. Yeah, training Thailand soldiers and training oh, wow. Korea soldiers. You were in Korea? How long? Uh, we were doing what? What did we do? Two. I did two trips for 30, 30, 30 days at a time. So then, so when you come back after going on these deployments. Seeing what you see over there, then what's it like to come back here and just try to do the things that us, us normal people, you like, take for granted, like sitting at a table in a like in a, in a bar like this, open space, a lot of people around. I mean, just I don't know. For don't for know. me personally, when we got back, um, since my job was while I was over there. One, I was a team leader. Two, I was also in one of the sniper teams as well. So, like, as being in the sniper team, my job was, like, to watch and observe. So when I first got back, it was it was kind of like my mind was always racing because when I was walking around, I was always looking at everybody and their hands and what they're doing and watching my surroundings, like, constantly, like, like that's it. That's, I always do that. I was hypervigilant, basically, like, I could tell you like what people were wearing, people were doing, like kind of like I wasn't even out of deployment mode, but I was yeah. home, but I was still kind of just watching what everybody was doing, wasn't really like kind of enjoying what I was doing, because I was still like looking at everybody. I know that So feeling. it was kind of like, and then like, and then like when I sit down <laughs> in places, still to this day right now, Yeah. why did I sit there? Because I can see the door, I can see there, I can see all the entrance, I can see all the exits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's funny. Like people walk over my blind spot. 
I hate it. I feel like I'm gonna get depleted. That, that feeling of like getting my feet taken out from underneath me. I just, mm-hmm. I don't let people get too close. The yeah. minute somebody's in that blind spot, I turn quick and face, and like I'm ready to just tackle them. It's like, weird. Like it's like all- he's about to get depleted. <laughs> oh, I've been, de- I've been depleted. <laughs> His big ass. Like, what are you talking about? Depleted. In the league, everybody big. So I'm, I'm he small. might get clipped. <laughs> I've been blasted. Getting hit in the head and feet like, oh, those are my shoes in the air. No, I mean, I feel that way. I feel that way. I've never seen anything like that. So that's why I'm asking. Well, yeah, being, being, being black is, you all <laughs> <laughs> feel that way. You know, where I grew up, <laughs> better watch wow. your back, man. Better watch your back. But I mean, but I, yeah, I go see, ahead, go ahead. No, I sit like yeah. that. I sit with my back towards walls. I like looking at the doors. I mm-hmm. like having my back towards yep. Things of that nature. But I have not done any of the stuff that you have done. Like, but what? Slowing down, man. This one was, this one was I. It was I. It's expensive. <laughs> that's a high. That's a high end drink you have there. That's not. That's not Bud Light. It's not Modelo Negro. That ain't. That ain't. That ain't, that ain't Corona. That ain't Corona. I would, I would save the money on the high end beer and got me some cheap Bud Light or Corona with a lime because Coronas deserve a lime. But that one beer make you feel good, right? Am I lying? That one beer make you feel good. Oh, that's a good beer. It's a walk of shame. I thought it was gonna be super sweet. It's called the walk of shame mixed with a coconut porter. That's not the horchata? No, no, the horchata was already tapped because uh, uh, during beer week we only make a, a limited run on the batch. It's a one-off. It's kind of like the, the, the gimmick to get you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you try, he tried it, the last bit of the, the keg. This, this one right too. here is uh, Chasing that's chasing Citra. This it one here is... It kind of tastes like, it got like a coffee flavor to it almost. Yeah, at the back end. At the back end. The Walk of Shame is a, it's a coffee blonde. It's good, it's good. You definitely come check it out. Uh, <laughs> come to the local, yeah, check whatever, it out. Man. <laughs> come to the local so, and come check it out. Anyways, like I said, it was piggybacking off of what it's like to be back. Yeah. How it works. I mean, for me, the hard, the hardest, the hardest part about being back was uh, for me, for me personally. I'm not speaking for him or any other soldier or sailor or marine, or whatever. <laughs> Just really speaking for the soldiers. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, I guess like integrating back into life. Like, that was my hardest thing, being a father again, dealing, dealing with my family. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Not just not just the PTSD. We can get to that later and all that other stuff. Right. But the main, the main thing was getting off that airplane, coming home, and integrating my life back into their lives because their lives had already moved on as far as, like, I'm over here, they're over here, so they're still living their lives. Yeah. And then, you know what I mean, for that amount of time that I'm gone, then I have to come back. I gotta get him. Yeah, I gotta get him. Gotta catch up. But I gotta, but I gotta hit the ground running. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like jumping out of a car while it's rolling. If you ain't running fast enough, you gonna fall. You know what I mean? You gonna hit your. Wow, yeah, that's a good analogy. You know what I'm saying? You gonna hit, you gonna hit the ground. So it's like, you, you know, like a week, two weeks out. I'm already thinking like, man, like all right, I gotta go home. I gotta see my daughters. I gotta see my son. You know, like how am I gonna, like how they gonna take me? And I'm a different human being as it is, you know, yeah. and I haven't even, I'm not going to even explain that to them, but just to, just to get back home, like, it was a relief, but at the same time, it was like, it was scary, you know, it's like, I don't even know these people no more, and they don't really know me anymore, I'm wow. a different human being, yeah. you're not because me. they didn't experience what I experienced, and I didn't experience what they experienced, Yeah, you know, com- two completely different things that we have to, um, 
put back integrate, together. Yeah. Integrate. That's the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Integrate. And that's hard. So, okay. Oh, my bad. No, 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 no. You didn't cut so, me off. So now my thought, my question is, so when you're in that situation, you're trying to figure out how to integrate this because you're a different person. They haven't experienced what you've been through. Do you get, what's it like figuring out, do you, uh, do you explain to them what you've been through or is it better to keep them out of, in the dark? If you talk about it, does it put you in a mood to where you're better off not talking about it or is, is, or is getting it out something that helps? Like how do you, that's a, that's a tough situation to be in, so how do you deal with, how do you go through dealing with, do I talk, do I not talk, do I act like it's all good, do I not? I mean, for me, and then I'm gonna let him just go right off of me, for me, since my kids were so young in age, that wasn't something that I wanted to explain to them, like, daddy did all of this, and daddy, you know, did X, Y, and Z. You know what I'm saying? That's not something that a five-year-old, a six-year-old, you know what I mean, an eight-year-old need to hear. They know that daddy left, and daddy deployed, but they don't need to know the specifics behind what I was doing while I was there. Now, as far as my wife goes, you know, I would try to explain to her, but you know, that's that's it's tough in itself. You don't put the worry on them. Yeah, it's like it's like you don't want to you don't want to yeah you don't want to put too much on them. Like right when you get back, like because they don't really know. Like you can say it all the time, like baby, I did this, I did this, I did this, but it's really it's really irrelevant. Like they're never gonna understand what you really did over there. Never. And then for me. Reintegrating was just kind of like a, it was just, that, like you said, it's the hardest part because you ain't seen your kids, you ain't seen nobody, you ain't seen anything, like, got to hit the ground running, how to do the same thing. The hardest part for me is like, I did like, it's to try to fit into, you got to, they already have a routine. Like, when I came back, like, Lucia had everything on routine. My wife had it on routine. Boom. Well... You don't want to come in and break the routine, so now you got to figure out how you fit into the routine. So you're, well, you're not used to that. You're used to making the routine because you're in Afghanistan. Wow. You make, you're yeah. making it go. Now you're coming home, and I'm like, all right, they got a routine. All right, they go to bed at eight. Now I got to hear to the. They go to bed at eight. I gotta, gotta try to like figure it out. And that was the hardest part for me was trying to just mesh myself into what was already existing. Yeah, and did that. That takes a lot out of you. You get frustrated. You get upset. You're like, oh yeah. And then, and then your wife's like, why are you getting upset? And you're just like, you don't understand. Like what I just came from, and now I'm like here. So then you try to you explain it, but then like you said, they don't really understand it. And then when you break it all the way down, and then you see their face, you're like, I, I don't want to say anymore. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. I don't want to say yeah. anymore because now they're thinking like, you oh man, you're you're gonna die. I don't yeah. want you to go back. And you're like. I can't have that. I'm still in. I got three yeah. more years left on my contract. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Like, yeah, I got three true. more years left on my contract. Like, I don't want to say nothing else because I just saw the look. I saw the, the, the her facial expression just changed. Like, I almost lost my husband. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, don't want to say nothing else. And then next thing you know, you don't want to say nothing. And then now what are you doing? You're bottling it up. And then you're just kind of just laying low, trying to just reintegrate. But Yeah. So... It works though. Figure it out. The uh, this is a crazy subject because I, I I found myself doing the same thing. What is your your number one vice as far as coping mechanism? 
cervezas. Beer. Beer. What about you? Uh, probably have to be. Um, I gave it beer. Probably the gym. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things. I mean, there's there's a lot. Kids, just being with my kids is a coping mechanism. Honestly, like just just being around them and just yeah, like that's a big thing. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that's like a coping mechanism, but like helps out. Yeah, it helps. It comes it comes you down. It makes you be like, hey. You know what? Relax. I'm not here. Relax. Chill out. You're all you're all getting all upset right now. You got your two ones right there. Chill yeah. out. Go take care of your kids and hang out. But yeah. like, if I have to say something about that, like, okay, the coping mechanism could be alcohol. For some guys, it could be marijuana. For some guys, it could be cocaine. Yeah. I mean, I'm not judging you, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, everybody <laughs> yeah, everybody's got advice, but I mean. Yeah, no, I feel like for me personally, my, my, my after retiring football, I've been social football so long, it's like, okay, now what do I do? I was free time. Like, I'm not doing anything. I'm waking up at 10 a.m. I feel like I'm not wasting time. It was just all, my coping mechanism was just staying busy, like creating business. I had to have phone calls, interviews, conversations, uh, doing some type of business activity. Just stay busy to feel like you still have value. It's like you had value even if you sat on the couch and watched TV. Like, you know, all this shit was created from what you did already. So it's like having to look back and say, you know what? Not that I just played in football. I fucking played in the NFL for 12 years. Now, who the fuck can say that? No you one. Served in, you <laughs> served the country. The people served the country, but you served the country very well. And you did shit that no one else can just, or average person can't say, yeah, I'm going to go to Afghanistan and like, yo, I'm going to hold a gun in the desert. And I'm, I'm going to hold it down. I'm straight. I got y'all. Don't worry about it. Go about your business, but I'm going to go hold this gun down in the desert for you. No one says that. No one has that mindset. So it's like, yeah, motherfucker, I served for the country. You know, I was over there doing this. It's like flipping that switch and actually not saying, no, I'm out now. What do I do? It's like, I'm out. I did that. Now what? Yeah. All of all, you guys are hanging out with a guy that spins records and talks in a fucking mic for a living. Hey, man, what am I doing with my life? That's what I'm I sitting here wondering about. Like, put, my put, goodness. Put your story out there. You, you got <laughs> kids. Yeah, you, you, got you, got kids right? the spot. you got kids, right? Yeah, I got my kids. You're so putting that out there. there. You know your dad? No, I don't. Then you got a story. Hey, hey, hey. Are you successful right now? Yes, you have that? No, you did it on your own. You're straight. Hey. No, but it's crazy because people don't realize that there's PTSD involved with not having both parents together in that stable nuclear family. And a lot of people that get are raised in a, in a non-traditional family, they have issues that carry over that you never address because yep. you don't know how to address it because you don't know you had issues to begin with. You know what I mean? I don't want to piggyback off that. Is a lot of people think PTSD. They think it as it think of it as a military thing, like you just said. Uh-huh. And like you just said, I'm just yeah. I'm piggybacking off that. Yeah, yeah. We're and that's, some, that's something I learned. And um, oh, oh go ahead. Sorry, Eric. Um, uh, PTSD can be from anything in your life. You know. Just, you know, like you said, from a fatherless home or a motherless home or, you know, being an orphan or, I mean, you know, just yeah. any, anything you can... A lot, a lot of trauma. Trauma yeah. is what causes trauma, PTSD. Trauma. In any, it's called any way post-traumatic stress. Yeah. So it's what you went through and then how you can deal with it afterwards. Yeah. You know? So PTSD isn't just because you had to go to war. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, a woman that got raped has PTSD. Oh yeah, uh, a shitty marriage that you stayed in that you didn't need to stay in can cause P. 
PTSD. Kids that grow up in a gang infested environment that got gunshots all day. So you can't go to sleep without one of those bullets going through your window. I don't, I don't like that just to be like a stigma of like, oh, soldiers only have PTSD. You know what I'm saying? Like, every everything that you go through in life can cause you still got the that type of stress. I'm saying. Yeah, that's the that's the thing I was trying to get across is um yeah. me and Kyle were talking about this like you know I want to talk to some of my boys from the military man mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about PTSD but I want to get the point out there is that PTSD is involved with everybody that's been through trauma yeah. it's not just something that when you mention military oh you got PTSD from from going to war yeah, yeah PTSD before you even got into the military you know yeah. what I'm saying he grew up in in South Central Los Angeles my first, yeah. Yeah. My first person, that was a war zone in, in the army. Huh? The first person I seen get shot wasn't in the army. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> wasn't in the army. Yeah, tell you that much. Yeah, but I, I just uh, I'm trying to be the person that's advocating for people to understand what PTSD is more so than just equating it to military. That, that is it's in every facet of life, and there's so much things that are involved with it that you know it, it's just it's just something that need, people need to know about so they can yeah. understand it, so they can better get the the message out there about. We really want to thank the vets that are sharing their story with us today. We've got more to come. We've got two more segments. We've got two more vets that will be joining the conversation. And it and we have the wife of a vet that also gets in. Thank you for listening to Cal and KO. Thank you to Anchor. Thank you to Downtown Local San Diego. Thank you to our vets, our current troops, everybody that serves to protect our rights and our freedoms in this country. And like I said, we will be back tomorrow with part two of three of the military veterans takeover right here on Cal and KO. Deuces.